everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Success Anecdotes. I'm Ashi Bilani, and I'll be hosting today's podcast along with two other A Success students. Hello, I'm Nathan Lai. Hello, I'm Leo Lu. So today's episode will be Stories for Success, and today we are joined by one of A Success's amazing mentors, Betty Sun. Hi, my name is Betty, and I've been so happy to work with my A Success students for one school year, and I'm looking forward to the coming one. Today we would like to discuss how family history and experiences plays a part on values and lives of growing up in America and starting a career and experiencing success. Start off, I would like to ask, what does success mean to you? So a lot of people might define success in kind of materialistic terms. But for me, success has always been measured by how one has achieved their potential and realized whatever dreams or ambitions they set out for themselves. So for me, to be successful, a person is kind of in tune with their spirit and aware of their own personal history and also aware of what's going on in the world around them. And also someone who contributes to whatever communities they belong to. And that can be, you know, through your work and can be through your family. It can be through volunteer work. But success is really about defining your own goals and working hard to achieve them and not being deterred when people suggest that those aren't the goals that you should be having, which is something I heard a lot when I was growing up. So you're saying that people often said that your goals wouldn't necessarily work. So what are some important life lessons that you've learned from failure? And being told that you shouldn't have those goals? Um, so when I finished university, I was, um, I was a study of a student of languages in college and grad school. And I chose that, I think, partly because I love language and I love literature, but also because getting a PhD was a very respectable, you know, accomplishment. And, um, in the end, what I realized was that I didn't really want to be so specialized in the work that I did. Once you become an academic researcher, it's really less, some of it is about teaching, but in terms of your own research and what your claim to fame is, it's really more about staking out a niche that you are the world's foremost expert on. And that meant gradually narrowing my sights and I actually wasn't realized I wasn't interested in doing that. So I could say that leaving graduate school before I got my PhD was a failure, except that it's not really how I see it. I see it actually as a very fortunate decision that I made to switch gears professionally. Yeah, I think a lot of people think like, unless you have a PhD and like, you're not necessarily someone who's respectable and like it's also okay to stop doing something and really figuring out like what you really want 
Because then you're not like happy with what you're doing. So how did you find what really drives you? So um, it's interesting. Uh, When I was in graduate school, I was helping a professor of mine publish a journal. So he started publishing a quarterly journal when he was a graduate student. And what I discovered in the process was that publishing was really, really fun. In fact, it combined a lot of different skills. You had to have strong writing skills. You had to have strong editing skills, you know, in general communications. And then there's also a business side, right? So you have to make it all you have to make it all balanced, your costs and your um, uh, your income. So I decided after I did that as a kind of part-time job in grad school that I would go into publishing. So I moved from St. Louis, where I was a student, to New York City. And that was the beginning of an almost 30-year career in book publishing which I have to say was very, very gratifying. And it was exactly, for me, the right thing because I never got pigeonholed into one subject area or one part of one subject area. It was very wide-ranging, and that suited me very well. Um, so do you think, like, your family was in, in support of that, like you not finishing your Ph.D. but finding something that you truly enjoyed? You know, um, I think my family had their doubts that I could make this. And the other thing I should mention is I come from a family of bankers. My father was a banker. My sister became a banker. My brother became an investment banker. My sister became a stockbroker. So for them, money was a very important yardstick. And in publishing, you don't make money. You still don't make money in publishing relative to other careers, but I didn't really care. And as long as I could afford to support myself, it really wasn't their, it wasn't their choice. You know, they could have their opinions. And at different times, you know, I remember my sister said to me once, oh, do you suppose you could go back to graduate school and finish your PhD? And I said, why would I do that? I've invested 30 years in, in my in my career, and I have no interest in going back to it. It's, it's done. It's finished. I don't have any regrets, and you shouldn't either. Wait, Betty, you said that you're a publisher and that you moved to New York, and you said that publishing is not for, like, the money or anything like that, but New York is, like, really expensive. Yes. And when I started working, Leo, I made $12,000 a year, okay? That's about $1,000 a month. And the only way I survived was I inherited an apartment from my sister who just bought a house. And in New York City, they have rent control, right? So it was a rent-controlled apartment. It cost $525 a month. I split that rent with a former college classmate, also another publish, publishing person. And it cost us, you know, what, 300 250 275 each per month. And we could just barely afford it. And then, of course, as you work your way up, you start to make more money. But, you know, you're right. New York City is brutal for people in certain professions. Architecture is another wonderful field that chronically underpays, and they have to do 
architects have to finish five-year degrees. So um, I think what it says is that if somebody really loves what they're doing enough, they'll find a way to make it work. So like you said that like you you only made 12,000? $12,000 a year. So you you had to work hard to be where you are right now, of course. Yes. So do you think that your hard work or anyone's hard work can influence them? their success? Oh, absolutely. Because people notice hard work. People notice hard work. And when you have, you know, when you have kind of a hunger to be something else or to do something else. And in my career, anyway, most people have recognized that not only do you have the work ethic, but you have the talent, right? You also have to have the ability. So and and then it's a matter of luck if you get the opportunity to put all of that together and take yourself to another level. So by the end of my 28 year career in book publishing, I was a publisher. I published um, medical textbooks for the second largest medical publisher in the world. Um, I had a staff of six people and I ran a $30 million business. That's a lot. So I guess, Hard work work does guarantee success. Doesn't guarantee it. It's a, it's it, a lot of other things have to come in. A lot of other things have to break your way. So, uh, were there times where you felt like completely stumped, like you hit a dead end? And if so, how did you push through? And how did you convince yourself to keep going for what you loved? My biggest challenge professionally in publishing was um, in my very last position where I was the publisher of medical textbooks and I had a boss who was just very, in fact, she was quite resentful of, um, so she had a much bigger, she had a, she had all of medical publishing, not just educational. And I ran a very successful educational publishing business and, um, she didn't support me at all. And in fact, she did things to kind of undermine my abilities to succeed. And I don't know that I ultimately overcame that because um, I wasn't really in a position to, um, to, I didn't figure out a way to regain the resources that were taken away from me. Sometimes things don't work out your way. When you say resources, what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean things like headcount, the number of people who work on your team, Hmm. the amount of money that's budgeted for you to develop projects, those kinds of resources. So did you just eventually stop working with her or like? Yes, I did. Yeah. And I and I actually after this was at the end of 28 years, and I decided that um, I took a year off. I, I left, I resigned my position and I took a year off. And after that year, I decided to um, get trained as a special educator. And so I entered a program um, in order to become uh, someone who could work, work with students with learning disabilities. 
And I know that doing new things is also very hard. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to try something new but is too afraid? Well, because you mentioned too afraid. So I think that it, it is, you have to try to be fearless. You have to stop doubting yourself. You have to forgive yourself for what you don't know. And you have to have faith that what you don't know will learn eventually, that it's going to come as a matter of hard work and time. Have faith in yourself. That's the most important thing. So were there any people in your life who, well, there are obviously people who uh, came in as obstacles, but were there people who really helped lift you up and were there any like family values that had anything to do with your success and the way you grew up? Yeah, so I would say in terms of family values, um, my, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a feature of many, many Asian cultures that, you know, hard work is the only way right like if you don't work hard and you're successful you should probably feel guilty right for your success but along the way i did have um in school i had some teachers who were incredibly supportive starting in high school i will never forget my high school german teacher she's the one who gave me um just this sense of myself that um, I, I remember she, she, she would say, you know, when I close my eyes and I listen to her, Betty, speak German, I can't tell at all that she's not a native German speaker. And that just kind of lifted me, you know, like I could soar after that. And it, I think the someone else having faith in you and the belief in you fuels your own you know, ability to believe in yourself. And it kind of creates this momentum for you to carry on. So my German teacher was incredible. I also had some fantastic literature teachers in college who were very, very encouraging. Um, and then professionally, I had some opportunities um, and I had some good mentors, but I didn't necessarily have very close personal relationships with them. Um, they just provided um, me support um, and encouragement and the opportunity to, to try different things. And, and I was able to, you know, I was able to, to put together projects and acquire books and develop books that were successful. So, I mean, I feel like good teachers make all the difference. Absolutely. Like just teachers that support you, then you can feel their energy and they want you to succeed. It's just, just so happy. It makes you happy. And then I feel like the teacher is also happy that, you want to, that she wants to see you succeed. Yes. I think teachers really give us faith in ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. I wanted to say that I had like such a similar experience like in middle school seventh grade my spanish teacher she pretty much was like saying the same thing that she just said that okay you'll do like you'll be you'll do like really great things and she actually meant it and she was so incredibly encouraging to me and that made uh like that makes like a lasting impact 
It really does. It makes me feel like, uh, I mean, I have someone who actually believes in me and it all that matters so much to the students. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's something that like everyone should, you know, take away when you meet someone who's in- extremely encouraging. You should also learn to encourage others and lift people up because it can truly make a difference in someone's life. Um, so leading on to the next question, how do you want to influence the world? Well, um it's a great question, and it's a great question in the context of all of the awful things that are happening. In many respects, I feel like as a, an individual, I have very little power to influence, um, you know, political decisions and outcomes. I mean, of course, I participate in by voting and for different political candidates, I have gone canvassing. So I have been engaged in, in, in kind of trying to achieve certain outcomes. But honestly, I have to say that I'm not sure how I impact, you know, our laws and our representatives um, in a really meaningful way. So, um, but where I can definitely have influence is in the communities that I work in, whether that's um, AA success, working with students and trying to support them and help them achieve growth um, through my yoga community, because I do uh, regularly practice yoga and meditation and I'm um, quite close with, you know, uh, a few of the teachers. And so I consider them part of my community. Um, but, you know, it's, it's in our, it's, you know, there's this, there's this uh, book by Voltaire, the French writer. Uh, it's called Candide. And it's kind of about a similar dilemma where an individual looks at the overwhelming problems in the world And what Candide decides in the end is that, you know, we can't change the whole world, but what we can do, and this is meaningful to Go Greeners, is we can tend our own gardens. And that's literally how it's expressed. We may not be able to change the world on a big scale, but we can tend our own gardens. Whatever that might be, the garden, you know, that is your family, the garden that is your, you know, colleagues at work, the garden that is your students, that, you know, is your family. So in your own sphere, um, it's important to continue to do good. Mm, I love that quote because, like, the world is pretty big, you know. It's yeah. kind of hard to make an impact on yes. everyone. But yeah. everyone has, like, branches that they, they go into their communities, like, they play a sports team, their school, any other clubs they're in, it's, they make an impact on their club. Absolutely. So if yeah. they yeah. enter their garden, then they'll make impact in their communities. And even not, not on, like, the large world scale, but just for everyone else that's in their communities. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, like, going back to the family aspect, I think, like, parents have one of, are, like, one of the biggest influences on like children growing up these days and um like 
you said in Asian culture, there's a lot of like pressure of like hard work and like grinding. Um, but you have to let someone kind of, you know, like follow their passion, figure out their own small way to help the world. Um, so what is a piece of advice you would give to a parent? And what would you like to tell them about setting up their children for success? So what you said, Ashi, about, you know, having some more freedom as a young person to decide what your passion is and to pursue it. I'm a strong believer in that. But I also think that you need to you still need to apply that hard work ethic, right, to whatever the passion is that you discover. And, you know, for the community of, you know, parents, not just Asian parents, because I think these days, partly I think people are driven by fear. They're driven by the fear that their children have diminished prospects for success, right? It's such a hyper-competitive world professionally, and it's a very expensive world. Nobody could survive on the publishing salary that I got when I got out of graduate school. So you're gonna need a multiple of that salary that I made. So I understand the fear. I understand every parent's fear. You want your child to have work that he or she likes that can sustain them, that can provide them for a lifetime, and hopefully provide them with you know financial stability in their later years when they're no longer working. But the thing is, I think Asian cultures are doubly handicapped by the fact that we are very strongly norm-based. In other words, what I mean by that is, we really believe that there's one right way to do things. And that means that we're not very tolerant of different ways of doing things, right? So if you want to be successful professionally, oh, you better be a doctor or a dentist or a programmer or a computer scientist, right? The field of vision of where a person can find success is limited by those kind of blinders, right? Like there's one right way to do it. There are only a limited number of professions I can encourage my child to go in in order to find success. So, um, and it's a balance. I mean, you, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, you, well, I don't know. As a parent, I might have said, I might have been skeptical if one of my kids came home and said, oh, I'm going to become a circus acrobat. How about that? You know, because that's really where my passion is. And I, I, I definitely would have, you know, had some reservations and some second thoughts about that. But I think what's important for parents is to try to remember that life is about making choices, right? Hopefully, life is about making choices. And there's a wonderful quote I think it's George Bernard Shaw who said, we don't find ourselves in life, we create ourselves, right? We are a blank slate when we come out, right? And different factors shape us. But in the end, what should really shape us are the choices that we make. So if parents bear down really hard on children and tell them, no, you have to do this, 
You have to take these, these AP classes. You have to go to these schools. You can only choose from these professions. You're not teaching your child the process of choosing. Choosing is an area where we can make a lot of bad choices. So instead of telling your child what the choice is, help your child make good choices by teaching them, okay, if you're faced with this or this choice, what are the pluses? What are the minuses, right? You don't make the choice for them. You help them understand and evaluate the choices so that they can make the choices themselves. And of course, this is all, you know, the choices become more more significant and the, the lack of choice becomes more consequential the older a person becomes. Um, but I do think in the end, it's about allowing a human being to become a self-aware, responsible person who can make good choices. So, Betty, you're saying that as a um, parenting approach, it's not of, like, um, pushing your child to do things or just being totally hands-off, but just finding, like, the middle ground and maybe just holding their hand? Yeah. And, you know, you have to know what's going on with them. And hopefully you have the kind of relationship where they talk to you and they tell you things. I mean, a lot of parents, you know, when you tell your kid all the time, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. What kind of relationship will your your child have with you? Will your child feel safe and and uh, feel like they can have a real conversation with you if they're, you know, if they're faced with a with a particular choice, I don't know. So you're right. That's a, that's a good summary, um, Leo. Because we never dictated to our kids what they would do, where they would go to school, what classes they would take, what major they would have, what careers they would have. Those were all choices that they made. But we also were not oblivious, right? We were aware of what was going on. Yeah, it's important not to like completely restrict your child and like only and like be forceful because when they actually have a problem, they might not want to come to you. Um, and like one day when they're faced with the situation alone, they might not know what to do and they won't like exactly. They won't have the ability to make the choice themselves. Yeah. Yeah, but I think overall. Um, just hard work, fighting what you love, and learning to make that good decision. Um, and don't be afraid uh, to do what you want. Well, the other, the fact of the matter is, you know, you're all going to become adults. You know, you're all going to become working adults who make all, all kinds of choices on their own. And, you know, there's my children now could make choices and I, I have nothing to say. Um, the only thing I can hope is that the choices don't have such consequences that, you know, um, that e- either they get hurt or um, they suffer, you know, like significant setbacks. You know what I mean? But even then, you, you're not in a position to change things. Like if my children decided that they didn't, uh, neither of them wanted to get vaccinated and they got seriously ill with COVID, there was nothing I could do about that. 
nothing I could do about the choice and nothing I could do about the recovery, really. I mean, we can have conversations about what I believe and I can make an argument about why getting vaccinated is a great idea, but you're an adult, you make choices. And your parents don't have any, any really, they don't, well, at least in my world and in our world, um, we don't interfere, we don't dictate. We try to be there to support if something goes wrong or if something goes well, but it's not your call. So ultimately, you'd have the the plex student, or you'd have the what's the word? Consequences. Kid, no, you have the you have the kid like ultimately make decision themselves, but you'd like have to try to like maybe um, let them know of their actions or like let them know what what they're doing because they can. Well, you can you can offer your advice, you know. Oh, advice. Okay. Yeah, you can tell them what you think is is good for them, but. You can't make the decision for them. Yeah, that's just how effective your communication is between you and your Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So, what is your final overall advice that you would give to someone who is trying to start a career and try something new? Okay, so um, the first thing I would do is encourage them to always do their homework. Know what you're getting yourself into. If you're taking on a particular profession, really, you know, understand what it is that is going to be asked of you and um, always work harder than you have to, right, Um, and really figure it out. The other thing is to reach out to people who can be um, either mentors or Um, supportive colleagues because a lot of times we learn from other people right so I would say that you know seeking out building kind of and I don't mean a network of you know people that you it's just people that you can tap into who will generously share what they know about your line of work whatever it is that you have chosen I already said hard work, but work harder than you have to, because uh, especially if it's kind of a field that it depends, too, on on how much experience you have that's relevant. Um, So when I went into book publishing, I, I took a job in. So there are different parts of book publishing. And the first job I had was producing book. So. I had never done it before, but it's fairly process oriented, not very creative. You have to be organized. You have to manage schedules. You have to manage projects. Um, there's not a huge creative element to it. Um, then I moved into editorial, which is uh, almost it's well, half business and half creative. And so the creative part is really hard to learn and um, you just have to be willing to take the risk and just have combination of having confidence that if you ask the right questions if you um, ask the right questions ask for advice try different things work really hard at it just 
believe that what you don't know now is just a matter of closing a gap over time. I mean, most people, when they start a job, they don't have all the skills they need. Most people learn what they need to learn by doing. And so don't be afraid to do it just because you've never done it. Um, might I just ask out of curiosity, has your, like, any of your degrees or things that you learned in school helped you with your jobs or occupations that you've had? Actually, not at all. How come? <laughs> well, because my degrees are in German. Um, I have not used my German in a professional capacity in any substantial or significant way. So you were able to go into book publishing successfully without having a degree in that area? Well, there aren't really degrees. It's like, it's like learning a trade. Although I guess nowadays maybe people do get certificates and whatnot. But yes, it's not it's not a field where you can get a degree. Then, like, how did you build your resume at first? So you just well, you list your educational achievement, and in my case, I had done some work as a uh, sort of an assistant editor on the journal. But you know, everybody starts out somewhere, right? That's still the case. I have a son who graduated with an MBA, and he ultimately decided to work for a consulting company. He had never done consulting before. He acquired a, a sort of a set of skills in business school that allowed him to understand criteria by which you know businesses are evaluated and developed. But it's in applying them and doing the work that you really learn it, that you really know it. Yeah, you learn as you go. And um, I think you gave very good advice. Um, so what I think everyone should take away is to be creative, try new things, and work very hard towards what you want. Thank you so much, Betty, for all the great advice and all the stories that you shared today. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone.